Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to another brand new episode of what should be your favorite podcast, and I hope this is your favorite podcast. This is the best of the best presented by the Maverick teams. I am your host, as always, Maverick Levy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and listening. If you have not yet, please subscribe to the podcast. What does subscribing to the podcast do, you might ask? Well, number one, you'll get notified through whatever platform, if you have your push notifications on, that a new episode has gone live. The other thing that you're doing is helping the podcast grow naturally, organically. So we appreciate if you subscribe to the show. And also, if you're willing to, leave a review for the podcast, as of course, that helps the show grow as well. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest for you all. He truly is the best of the best. And so without further ado, I want to jump right into this interview. We are sitting here with the main man, Daya Ali. You know, the show is called The Best of the Best, and I think you truly fit that title. So welcome to the podcast, Daya. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure and and a great honor. It's been one that I've been wanting to do for a while, right? We'll kind of get into how we met and how that transpired over time. But before we go any further, I'd like to just give you the floor to kind of tell your story, right? You're a world champ boxer. You're a trainer now. So I'd like to you to just tell your story for a couple of minutes, let the audience get to know you, hear your story, hear who you are, and then we'll kind of go from there. So sure, the absolutely. floor is yours. Awesome. So uh, going back to 2004 is when I started my journey, you know, got interested in uh, boxing very late. I started at the age of 22. Um, didn't really turn my interest in into boxing until 2003. I was uh, 21 years old, and I called my dad up, and I said, Dad, I want to box. And he just couldn't believe it, you know, like him, Olympic gold medalist, you know, grew up watching him fight. I showed zero interest. Um, my thing was basketball from 10 years old all the way up until about 18. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to college. I did one year of college and just wasn't sure. I knew that wasn't my route. Schooling really wasn't for me. So I was just like working part-time, Yeah, got into management. I managed a tuxedo store called After Hours at the time. Then uh, name change, ended up being Men's Warehouse. And I just knew like selling suits and tuxedos and weddings and handling that sort of stuff wasn't for me. So I had an epiphany one night, watched Lennox Lewis's last fight between him and Vitaly Klitschko. And uh, Vitaly was called on short notice, I believe about three weeks. And I felt like man, this guy got called on three weeks notice and was doing very well against the champ. I said, man, I got a good shot of being heavyweight champ of the world if I get serious about this. So I called my dad up the next day and I said, dad, I want to box. And he was like, box what? Oranges and grapes? Yeah. I said, no, man, I, I want to be heavyweight champ of the world. He's like, well, son, how much you weighing? I said, about 230. And he was like, you're 6'1", 230? What the hell happened? Because, you know, coming out of high school, I was about 160 pounds. And I uh, got to college and, you know, I wanted to, Put on some masks. Yeah, yeah. Didn't really know how to do it, so I was eating garbage, freaking Wendy's, double bacon cheeseburgers, <laughs> and Frosties. spicy nuggets, Frosties, and yeah. fries, and doing that every night, five, six nights out of the week. And uh, you know, I, I packed on some sloppy weight. So he was like, "Son, you know, you're not gonna be a heavyweight. You know, if you get really serious about this, yeah. you know, your best bet is light heavyweight." Uh, so I was like, "Man, you mean to tell me I need to lose fifty pounds?" And he was like, "Yeah, that's what I mean to tell you." So I think for him, 
trying to see how serious about what it is that I said I wanted to do, he uh, made me start running and change my diet. He was like, you know, you get the weight down, we'll see where else this goes from here. So I'm like, all right. So running every day, doing that about six days a week, I would take off on Sunday, but I would run three miles a day. Mm -hmm. And in four months time, I lost like 45 pounds. Wow. So he was like, man, all right, sounds like you're serious. Yeah, yeah, that dedication. Right? Yeah. So I was focused, man. So he said, come on down to Florida. I was in New York. He was down here training MMA fighters. And he said, I'm going to give you a two-week trial. He said, if I think you got what it takes, you stay. If not, you're taking your ass back home to New York. So I said, all right. So I came down, and uh, I watched him train, you know, other athletes, other boxers and MMA fighters. And just watching him train, I immediately jumped into the ring after he finished training a fighter. And I just started shadow boxing. You know, had no idea what I was doing. You know, I watched some footage of Muhammad Ali, right. of course, some footage of him. So I really didn't know what I was doing. I just started shadow boxing. And uh, he was sitting next to a friend. You know, my dad had just got finished training a fighter. So he, you know, he was a little tired. Yeah. And uh, he's out sitting in the chair, sitting next to his friend. And his friend kind of head nods like, yo, look, check your son out. Check what he's doing in the ring. And uh, he watched me for about 30 or 40 seconds. And he's like, all right, all right, come on out the ring. He says, we start on Monday. So I'm like, all right, cool. So that was it, man. You know, I started my journey on training. And after those two weeks, he's like, I think you got some natural ability. Uh, I think it's you got what it takes. You stay in here. So I'm like, all right. When was your first fight after that point, after he told you to come back? and? So it was 2004. It was an Olympic year. And being that my dad was a gold medalist, I wanted to achieve some of the same things that he had done, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately going into the amateurs, maybe winning the Golden Gloves title and going on into the Olympics and winning the gold medal just like he did. Yeah. But like I said, it was an Olympic year, so I would have had to wait another four years being that I was just starting. And uh, I just did, I know I didn't have that time, you know, yeah. like 23 years old, I would have been... You know, granted, I had a stellar amateur career going into the right. Olympics. I would have been 27. Right. And then off into a professional career at the age of 27, 28 years old. So because I was doing so well and I got such a kickstart in training. Yeah, you, know, you picked it up quickly. Who he was and the other fighters that he was training, I was able to get a super fast start yeah. on everything, like an elevated start. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after a few months of training, he was like, man, you're doing so well with these guys that you're sparring with. You know, some guys have been training and fighting for 15 plus years. It's like, you're doing so well with these guys. I've got no no problem throwing you in there. So I'm like, all right. So we basically bypassed the amateurs and went right to the pros. Wow. So only after eight months. And so when was your last fight? Two, a year ago? Two years ago? My last fight was October of 2022. Yeah. So yeah. a little in between a year and two years right, ago. Right. And so what's your official record up to today? 25 wins, four losses, uh, one draw and one no contest. Gotcha. Well, listen, With like I said, knockouts. but that record, you truly are, you know, one of the, the best of the best in the boxing world and you're highly respected, right? And so as we sit here and obviously for those listening, whether you saw some pictures on social media or not, you know, we're sitting in the gym that Daya now owns and operates and runs this gym. And that's actually how I met him. But I really want to go into it for you. You know, the first time you stepped into the ring, right? You knew that your dad's pressure was on, right? 100%. Everyone's watching. What is that feeling like when you were in the ring? I'm sure you can remember it. I'm sure you oh, can remember that feeling. What was that like? Yeah, big time. Uh, just having to live up to the hype of being Howard Davis Jr. Howard Davis Jr. Junior's son, and what's he gonna do with no amateur experience and 
uh, no real background in boxing and just getting started very late. It was a lot of pressure, a lot yeah. of pressure. At some point, I just had to know that my dad's career and what he did in the past and his history was basically that. That was his story. Right. And I was living my own dream and my own passion. And, you know, I focused on that probably after like my eighth or ninth fight. I knew I was no longer in the shadow. You know, I had yeah. my own business and career to live up to. Do you think that it helped or hurt the fact that you had that pressure? Are you one that performs well under pressure? And so having that pressure on you kind of helped push yourself a little bit more? Or do you think that it kind of was in the back of your mind the whole time and you would rather it not be that way? I like the pressure. I think with the pressure just helped elevate my training, help elevate my focus, mm -hmm. help elevate my study time at home, you know, right. like I would do my work in the gym and then go home and, you know, do countless hours of film study. Yeah. Because I knew I, I needed to catch up. You know, I started so late that I was behind the curb. So right. I had to catch up. Yeah. So you had to make up for it. 100. And so what is that feeling like where you talked about eighth, ninth fight that's sort of out of your head now and now, you know, no pun intended, we're not shadow boxing, but now that you're out of your father's shadow and you've made a name for yourself, did you feel like a weight was lifted off your shoulders or was it more of like a, I knew I could do this, I knew I could achieve it type feeling? Yeah, it was more of a, I knew I can do this, I, I knew I can achieve it. Um, ultimately, you know, my dad was an Olympic gold medalist. He had a stellar professional career, but he fell short of winning the world title. He had three opportunities. So my goal was to win a world title for our family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I fell short of winning a world title, but I, I did win a regional title, which was like definitely one of my dad's proudest moments. That was something that he never did as a pro. I think granted he had the opportunity, he would have won, but yeah. he never had an opportunity to fight for a regional title. So when I won the NABF title, which is affiliated with the WBC, that got me ranked as uh, number three in the world. So a proud moment, but I knew I still had, you know, goals to yeah. fulfill and, and shoes to fill. You so, know? so if you don't mind talking about your age now, because I find it very impressive and respectable. Your last fight was in 2022. How old are you, Daya? I'm 42. Just Which turned 42 is, in June. And, and the person you fought was how old? Actually, he was a year older than me. Oh, he was a year older <laughs> than you. Right. So we came along the same time. And I remember... Just watching him, yeah. you know, as a prospect yeah. on ESPN back in the day. I mean, the guy had 35 wins with 32 knockouts. And you knocked him out in the first round? I knocked him out in the first round. Yeah. But I knew, you know, a guy with 32 knockouts from 35 wins yeah. is still very dangerous. Yeah. You know, he's still very capable and still has power. So he's to be respected. Yeah. But I just felt like, you know, at 42, I've seen it all. Yeah. I've done it all. Traveled the world fighting. Yeah, just traveled the world fighting. This guy's not going to show me anything I haven't seen before. Yeah. So he could have been 42. Yeah. He could have been 24. Right. It didn't, wouldn't have made a difference. So what kind of mentality does boxing professionally give you outside, right? I think something that a lot of people might wonder is, as someone that's a professional fighter, you see online nowadays, whether it's MMA fighters or people in other leagues that are fighting outside of the gym, fighting outside of where they're supposed to be fighting. You know, how do you look at that from a professional standpoint? Is there ever a point in time where you've been out and about and not someone that's noticed you and is trying to cause an argument with you because you're you, but just shit happens, right? People are fucked up, right? They're messed up out there. How does that play into how you live your life? Are you very cool, calm, and collected and nothing really bothers you because you fight for a living? Or do you feel that sometimes it's sort of the opposite? 
I'm pretty cool, calm, and collected, man. I think uh, all the hyper stuff happens in it. You see it all, man. You really do see it all. And I think when you get outside, knowing that you're experienced and capable of real damage, yeah. you try to avoid those yeah. situations. I mean, I'm not the type of guy to get into altercations outside. You know? right, right. Like I get paid to fight in the ring. Yeah. I don't fight for free. I fight for a fee. Yeah. So I'm not going to fight in the street, you know? Yeah, no. And, and I think that is something that a lot of people wonder, especially in today's world where you see this happening, even in some fights, right? Fight ends and brawls break out at the end. And I feel right. like it didn't used to be that way. Do you think that's a new trend or you think it used to be that way? <sighs> I don't know, man. Maybe today's world, you know, with all the anxiety and... yeah. Just, just shit is just crazy these days, man. But, you know, you've seen it. You know, like uh, uh, one fight in particular, Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield. You know, they had the fan man incident. I don't know if you remember that. You no, might be I too don't. young for yeah. that. So uh, they were fighting in, I believe, Caesars Palace, Vegas. So it's co more like Coliseum style where are fighting. But the guy came in and like, like, a, like a parachute and a fan and he... Goes right into the ring ropes. Oh, my and God. And it puts a stall in the action of the fight. It's like the seventh round, you know, like a, yeah. a widely anticipated fight. You know, the fight's crazy as it is. And now they got to stall the whole fight to get this guy untangled uh, from the ropes, flying in from the sky. Yeah. So that turned into crazy. a little bit of a brawl. What other fights turn into brawls? You that's had, uh, crazy. Zab Judah and Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. You know, Zab yep. Judah hit uh, Floyd behind the head. And, yeah. you know, one corner comes in, the other corner comes in charging. You know, this is the 10th round. It's still a fight that needs to continue. So Yeah, no, it's it's crazy thinking about the professional fighting world. From your perspective, do you think you've seen a lot of growth, right? I know you trained some MMA fighters, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But do you think you've seen a lot of growth in the combat sports industry as a whole? Or do you think it used to be bigger back in the day? Depends. I mean, if we're talking... Because boxing is weird, right? Boxing's a weird one. It's a weird one, man. I mean, we got a lot of good fights happening this year which I think the fans are very happy about. Yeah. But man, we're losing out on our fans only because the fights that need to get made aren't getting made right away. Yeah. You know, yeah. like uh, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Thank God it's actually happened. It's going to happen later this month. But it's a fight that probably should have happened about a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, you know, the fight with Manny Pacquiao and, and Floyd Mayweather. You know, we had to wait five years for that. Yeah. So it's just too many politics. You so know, much, so much red tape bureaucracy yeah, is yeah. what it comes down to. And when you got like uh, Dana White in the UFC, for example, I mean, they're the only promotion. You know, there's not many promoters that you have to deal with. So fights get made. Yeah. You know, and, and fights get made right away. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I guess I'll say from a fan standpoint, right, of fighting in general, I don't keep up with it too much. Do mm -hmm. I enjoy it? Do I, can I respect it? Absolutely. I think from an outside perspective, you've really seen the growth of obviously UFC is, I think, top of mind for everyone when they think of fighting. But what's interesting is I feel back in the day, right, when I talked to some family members or some friends that I have that are older, right, boxing used to be what, like, everyone would look forward to and watch. And I think what's cool, though, is even I've seen you transition into now being a, the striking trainer and coach for some very prominent MMA fighters. Like I said, we'll get into that later. But I think, like I said, it's cool to see the growth because now you're incorporating your sense of style into a bigger combat sport, you know, one that incorporates a bunch of other styles of fighting and collectively bring it together. Is that something, you know, good, bad? Are you indifferent about it, about how it all kind of comes together? Or do you wish that boxing kind of remained like top tier, right? 
I still feel boxing is still top tier. I think the biggest boxing events still get the bigger draws. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, for a John, let's say John Jones, for example, like he's probably one of the bigger names in the sport. Yeah. You know, you put a Canelo in there versus uh, another top guy. Right. Like boxing will still supersede over yeah. the UFC. But like I said, the bigger fights, you don't have to go clamoring about. They're going to get made. So that's one of the exciting things about the UFC. Like it, when two guys are in their prime and they're at their peak, Dana's trying to match those fights. Yeah. Like he wants to see those fights just like the average fan. Yeah. Um, I was just asking because, listen, like, you know, I'm totally direct and transparent. I think for, before we talk about the gym, for my age group, I think boxing used to be number one in terms of what people would watch. I think UFC for my age group is now a number one and boxing is number two. And I think right. it comes down to what you talked about, where it's kind of, it's unified, where no one else has to talk to a bunch of different people or look in a bunch of different places as to what's going on with this fighter or what's right. going on with that fighter. You're hearing it from one centralized location. For sure. Where it comes to boxing, you really got to keep up with that world nowadays, right? Because it can be one thing from over here, one thing from over there, from this person's camp, from this person's camp, where, like I said, UFC, everything's kind of centralized, right? Dana's very prominent and very popular, very transparent on social media when it comes down to sort of fights and whatnot. So I think from the reason I asked that question is from my perspective, from my age group, I think I see sort of a shift in we'll call it what's most known by people, right? Mm -hmm. Where you kind of have that shift. So I was wondering from your perspective, if it's something where you wish there was more, I'm sure in your world, right? It's more centralized on boxing because that's just what you look into. But I was curious about sort of the latter part of what I said of if you wish that it remained that way and the rest of the way people saw it. But what I do think is very cool, and I keep saying we'll get to it later because I want to save it for later, is that you've taken your expertise and I think the show is also a business show when it comes to business, you've been able to pivot and adapt mm -hmm. into making sure that your skills and your knowledge is being applied in sort of the number one place today, right? right? And I think from a business standpoint, for me, that's really cool to see is you didn't just sort of open the gym and say, all right, I'm going to just have people come and train and work out and do their thing, right? You actually found the business portion of it so that you can continue to train, excel, and sort of give your knowledge and pass it on to the next generation of the greatest in terms of striking. Because it is important important at the end of the day. Um, but talking about the gym that we're sitting in now, you decided to open up a gym. How long ago was that? Uh, about four and a half years ago. February of 2019 is when I opened. The vision for it was definitely long before that. I think, uh, you know, as I was fighting and I knew or maybe felt my career was coming to a close, I knew I wanted to still give back. Right. Right. And to give back the knowledge that was uh, shared upon me from my father, the knowledge that was shared upon him from my grandfather. So I just wanted to keep the legacy going. Yeah. And what do you think the biggest takeaway is when people come here and when they leave? Like, what do you think they take away from coming here and training? You're definitely going to be better off leaving yeah. than when you came in. You know, yeah. you're definitely going to have more, more knowledge about the sport. You're going to feel comfortable about doing, yeah. you know, just performing yeah. and doing boxing. And rather. so the majority of people that come in, and it's called Boca Boxing District for everyone that's uh, listening right now, when people come in and want to come to the gym, what's like the number one reason people say they want to come here for self-defense, to just get some exercise, to feel more comfortable about fighting? What's sort of the number one reason you hear? Uh, pretty much all of the above. You know, some most people are just generally coming in just to improve on their fitness. I've got some kids who unfortunately are bullied in school. That, you know, they don't want to have that anymore. They just yeah. want to feel more confident. Right. 
uh, more self-aware, you know. I mean, boxing is yeah. so good. You know, it's going to help you with coordination, yeah. speed, strength, and agility. mental too. 100% mental yeah, that's, as well. That's like, you know, I'll kind of stop for a second and say I was doing jujitsu for a while and there was just something about rolling on the floor with other people where their private parts may just be smothered <laughs> in my face um, that I just couldn't get over. Like I loved it, but every time I was like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't know. But I, I loved sort of the aspect of the mental part of it. And I used to box pretty intensely, as you know, right. you know, when I was much younger. And um, getting back into it, I would say like the number one thing for me mentally is this is a place where I can come and you know, unwind and just get my head out of the sand or out of what I've been thinking about all day or dealing with. And I think that the world needs more of an outlet for that. Mm -hmm. I think that everyone today is filled with anxiety, filled with aggression, filled with anger. They're filled with all these things. So how to release that in a proper way, I think this is the place to do it. And I will say to everyone listening, whether you know, you're in Boca, you're in Del Rey, you're in a surrounding city, come to Boca Boxing District. If you're not, find a place that you go, that you feel comfortable, that you feel at home. Because I'll tell you, Di, and I've said this to you before, like this decision to come here and train with you, you know, obviously we've been off because I've been traveling for the past couple of months, but when we're in a routine, I feel better, I perform better, I think better, I sleep better, I'm a better boyfriend, I'm a better business partner, I'm a better human to other humans because I know that I have a place to come and get out whatever needs to get out. But also the accountability action, right? Need to be here at a certain time. I think that people lose that sense of accountability just through day to day, right? Like especially remote working, roll out of bed, open up your laptop, start working. Like mm -hmm. the accountability factor of being somewhere at a certain time giving it your all. That's something to me that I think more people should start to do and pull out. And that's something that I've pulled out of coming here and training with you and just the camaraderie that we have while we're training, right, is I think very important for people to know, understand, and realize how much it impacts your mental health as much as your physical health, right? Because to me, do I come here for physical health? Yes, absolutely. But I would say majority, I come here for mental health more so right. because I love the training that we do. You know, I love everything that we do when I'm here. So that's like Maverick's two cents on, you know, why you, that's like your sales pitch, right? Like why come and join Boca Boxing District? But it's the truth. And that's part of why I wanted to get you on. Not only are you the best of the best, but you've helped me individually, right? And I like to bring those people on and talk to them and ask them questions shifting from Boca Boxing District. So you're here and then you're a trainer as well at American Top Team, right? That's correct. Yeah, I've been a, a boxing coach there for over 10 years now. And so who do you work with? Who's? Uh, well, I'll start from the top. Uh, yeah. Dustin Poirier. Of course, he's got a big fight coming up with uh, Justin Gaethje. Yep. Uh, this will be their second showdown together, uh, which is July 29th. Johnny Eblen, who's a Bellator middleweight champion. Sabah Hamasi, who's also fighting in Bellator. Oh, man. Christoph Jocko, who's in the PFL. You know, now that you put me on the spot, it's kind of hard to name I all know, the guys but that I, I work see you with. posting with like all right. kinds of crazy people. You know, for me, obviously, Dustin is the name that sticks out. And I know that's kind of like building up to it. Timing's worked out, right? Fight's coming up. What is that like training someone like Dustin? What is that like from your perspective, right? Getting him ready for his striking and training and whatnot. What is that like from your perspective to train someone like Dustin? It's awesome, man. You know, like the fact that we've been training so long, 
So I've had an opportunity to see him grow, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to mature, you know, from fighter to husband to family man now to, uh, you know, a very charitable guy. You know, he's got yeah. an organization where, you know, he gives back to people of Louisiana, just anywhere, you right. know. So it's it's been a heck of a journey, you know, to watch him go from fighter to to man, yeah. you know, to husband, to... And so what does your role entail, right? Obviously, the UFC is incorporative of MMA, mixed martial arts. So right. you have a little bit of everything. But as his, what's the specific name you have? Are you his striking? Boxing slash striking coach. You know, like I think in, in UFC or with combat or MMA mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. general, uh, they, they tend to say striking. Okay. But I'm his boxing coach. Right. You know, I look at it as boxing coach yeah. first. The fight starts on the feet, as do most boxing matches. So, you know, it's typically... How the game plan starts come out on your feet yeah you know good footwork good head movement moving the hands offense defense they all got to work together and so you know typically like the things we do and we train right i'm sure you're doing those but are you teaching the striking to dp or training dp in a way to expect kicks and whatnot like you know from that standpoint is that something you guys work through or is that a different sector well since i've been around the sport for so long and you know I've also watched countless hours yeah. of fights, and believe it or not, I tend to mix up some kicks in there too. You know, okay. I'm, not, I'm not the most proficient yeah. kickboxer, but if I see that's where one guy's strength is, then you know I'll throw in some kicks just to mix it up, let him know what to be aware of, so right. we know how to counter that or how to defend that. And uh, like I said, counter for the most part. You know, catch a shot, come back and look to hurt the man. Yeah, and yeah. someone like Dustin, how often are you guys training? especially leading up to a fight like this? Well, I mean, because MMA just is so demanding and there are all these different aspects of the combat mm -hmm. between wrestling and grappling and jujitsu, we train about three times a week. So I'll see him one day specifically where we'll focus on strategy and keeping things mentally together and focus on more sp uh, sports-specific stuff. Yeah, um, We have a circuit day where he'll basically blend everything in sparring days which is typically about two days a week mm -hmm. so honestly yeah i'm saying about four times a week oh wow and what does it mean to you to be the striking trainer for someone like that what does that mean to you does it mean the win or loss sort of you know you feel like you're a part of that as well what does it overall mean to you when someone says you know like how does it make you feel that your dp's you know boxing coach it's great man i mean you know, it's funny how we met. I was actually, I was working with a fighter when he walked into the gym and he was just watching me work. And I'm like, you know, I, I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. And uh, what the hell is this guy? Keep, what's he looking at, man? Like, yeah. <laughs> why is he grilling me like this? And then once I was done working with the fighter, he came up to me and says, hey, man, would you, uh, would you mind working with me a little bit? So I'm like, okay. He must have fancied my uh, mitt style yeah. a little bit. So we started working. Right after that session, he was like, hey, man, I'm fighting in three weeks. Would you mind coming with me out to Vegas? I'm like, all right, sure. And I, I was a coach at a, a top team, but I never really traveled with the guys. You know, I would help them get their, prepare them, get their hands ready yeah. and just send them off. And then he was the first guy who asked me to actually come with them to a fight. So I'm like, okay, cool. This would be cool. So uh, Jonathan Brookins was his first fight with American top team in the UFC. So we went out there. And again, we only had three weeks to work. Mm -hmm. So the things that I was working with for him for that fight 
he didn't perform any of that, any of that in the yeah. ring. You know, he was doing like very Tyson-esque style rolling under shots. And I'm like, I'm in the corner. I'm like, oh shit, you're going to roll into something, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> sure enough, he got him to the ground. And he submitted him by way of a dodge choke. And uh, I was just happy we got out there, you know, and, and performed and got the win. Um, he showed some good hands. Didn't use, like I said, didn't use a lot of what we worked on, but we got the victory. Yeah. Now, right, you've been with him for how many years? Since 2010. Wow, long time. So, yeah, so 13 years. Now, like, right, you've had big wins. What is that feeling like? You Amazing. Know, when you Amazing. see him, you know, do what he has to do to win the fight, what is that feeling like to you once that? Oh, it's 100% it's, it's exhilarating. There's been fights where I've been in a corner and, you know, he'll get the stoppage win and maybe I, like, I'll stand up too quick in yeah. excitement and nearly pass out. Like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, damn, I think I just stood up too, yeah. too fast. yeah. You know, the big wins, uh, Max Holloway, to name one. You know, he won the interim belt with yeah. that one. That was that was a pretty big one. The Justin Gaethje first fight, to me, honestly, is one of my favorite fights. I think he showed how complete he could be as a striker. You know, he was able to, you know, not just walk a guy down and beat him up, but he was able to box and move and use his defense and counter in ability. So for me, that is one of my one of my favorite fights. You know, a fight where he was able to put it all together. Uh, another one of my favorite fights is definitely the second fight with Connor, mm -hmm. where he went out there and stopped him in the second round. Right. Uh, you know, most people had written him off, you know, being that him and Connor fought in 2014 and Connor stopped him in the first round. So, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to see that same same type of matchup, you know. Right. And again, we proved everyone wrong, went out there and dominated yeah. Connor and uh, did it again in the, in the third fight. Yeah. No, like I said, I think your story is so cool because you you have it in your blood, right? Like, I truly believe that. Obviously, you felt that at some point in your life, which is why you called your dad. And like I said before, I think it's so cool from a business aspect that you've been able to take what you've learned, what you've accomplished, and position yourself to put that into someone else that's doing this at the top level in the entire world. You know, I think to me, like I said, that's something that's the most respectable thing is that you didn't let it go to waste, mm -hmm. right? You got to where you wanted to be and you still continue to build in every single day on what you want to do and how you want to do it. Do you ever plan to fight again? Oh, man. I know we're talking, like, we were talking about <laughs> DP and, like, I, that just popped in my head. I was like, does he ever want to fight again? I think about it. I do think about it. I don't really feel like age is a factor for me. Yeah. Believe it or not, I'm still sparring with some of my guys who are fighting now. Every now and then, I'll mix it up with some of my MMA guys. I've got some amateurs that I train that are still currently fighting and I yeah. still mix it up with. Uh, is it in my heart? Do I feel like I can still do it 100%? Just times are a little different now. I'm very busy now. Yeah. You know, focusing on everything that I've got going on here with the gym. Again, training fighters. So it's the time factor right. for me. You know, I really don't have the time to dedicate myself to a training camp. Last year, I was able to do so. Um, but... You know, I have a, I have a new son yeah. now. I have yeah. a, a three-month-old at home. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old. So, you know, just yeah. too, life is just too busy Times for me right now. Times are crazy. Yeah. Well, listen, I hope that maybe if you do ever hop back in that ring, you know, I could be there to, uh, you know, cheer you on and, uh, you know, just be there in spirit for you. One question I do have for you, and I can't believe I missed it when you are talking about DP, is when a round ends, right, and you're talking to him after that round, what are some things that you say to him? Because to me, I always think, like, are they really going to be able to take in what's being told to them? You know, like, change this, fix this, right? You can sort of hear it in some fights of what they're talking about. But 
like, do you think that the fighter really takes that in or what are some things that you talk about or do you talk about that before? Like, hey, we're not going to do that in the middle of the fight. I think one of the main things is being comfortable with your fighter and knowing your fighter. You know, obviously, these rounds that happen in fights are very similar to rounds that happen in the gym. And we try to keep that same mentality, that same aspect, like we're just in a gym, the yeah. crowd means nothing, the lights mean nothing, these ring call girls, they they mean nothing, man. Just yeah. keep the element like we're in the gym. It's right. just another day in the office. Right. So, you know, there are times, you know, when he fought Dan Hooker in the Apex Center, I knew that the fight was so high-paced that I wanted to make make sure that he just felt that element like he's still in the gym. So, you know, sometimes he's not receptive in the gym either. But I knew there was a way that I can get to him and to make sure that he would digest what I'm saying to him. He would hear, he would digest, and then go out and perform. So one of the things that I said to him was like, hey, we, are we having fun? He's like, oh, I'm having a blast. And I'm like, all right. So now that you answered this question, you heard what I was saying. Now you're able to hear and receive yeah. what I'm saying as far as instruction goes to go out there and perform what I want you to perform. Right. No, see, to me, that's so interesting because I always wondered, like, what's being really, is anything actually being taken in? But like I said, it's so good to know that he has someone in his corner, in his camp, like Adaya, that's just there to support him no matter what. You know, the number one question, are you having fun? Are you having a good time? Because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, you know? It's supreme belief, man. So yeah. believe it or not, a lot, a lot of the stuff is worked on in the dressing room before the fight even comes out, you know, just reaffirming. People need to be reaffirmed. Yeah. Just constantly say the things that they need to hear. Yeah. They go out and perform. Yeah. I'm the best in the world. You're the best in the world. We've done this a million times over. It's just another day in the gym, you know? Yeah. And it, it, once people feel comfortable, then they go out there and perform, man. They just have their fun. They have fun and be themselves. Yeah. And so a question I do have for you now, right? So your boxing career, you may or may not come back ever again, right? You're training someone like DP. You're training a couple other fighters. You have the gym. What did the next five years look like for you, Daya? That's a good question. Any more kids? <sighs> no, I don't think so. My wife <laughs> my wife is like, that's it. She wants me to get snipped. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm a day-to-day -day type of guy, man. I just live in a moment. So, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time with the gym. Yeah. I'm having a great time with family. I'm having a great time as a coach and trainer. So we'll see. Yeah. What's some life advice? I feel like you've got some good life advice for the people that are listening right now. As we come down to the end of the interview, you know, I like to open it up maybe to be a little more general. You've experienced a lot in your life. You've traveled to different places. You fought some amazing people. You train some amazing people now. You get to see a lot of what goes on in the world. What's some life advice you have for those out there? Uh, appreciate the journey. I think um, a lot of the younger generation especially when you're able to just pick up your phone and, and see, you know, people's successes and, mm -hmm. and what they're doing. And a lot of people don't know how they got there. You know, yep. I appreciate the journey. Yep. You know, I've been through a lot of adverse moments in my life yep. that just helped build my character, helped build my confidence. And, you know, when you go through some of those adverse moments and you're able to come out of that, still standing on, on your own too, yeah, it helps you. You know, it helps build you. It's little accomplishments mm -hmm. like that that let you know that, you're very capable of going to the next step right. and getting through it, you know, no matter what comes at you. Yeah. No, I think, listen, like something that we talk a lot about on the show is failure, right? Mm -hmm. And you you bring up, you know, things you face in your life, hardships you faced. When you've lost some fights, you know, did that ignite a fire in you to get the next one, right? Because I think you put it best, always see a success, 
on social media, you never see anything bad. Right. It's only good. No one's going to ever like highlight their bad. That's just not what it's there for. I shouldn't say that. That's not how it's used, right? It's there to do whatever we want, but that's not how it's used. You're not mm-hmm. highlighting the negatives. But for you, right, I talk about failure on the show because I always say that in order to succeed, you have to fail. And so from my perspective, in your world, I would see sort of a knockdown, no pun intended, as losing a fight. What does that do to you internally? Or I should say, what did that do to you? Did that ignite that fire? Yeah, it should definitely ignite a fighter. I mean, if you go out there and you're competitive and, you know, let's say you lose a decision, you know you're capable of yeah. of, of getting in there and, and coming back or, or working on your craft to get better. I mean, if you go out there and get blown out and knocked out, it's like, oh, damn, well, do I even have it? Fortunately, I've I've never, I've never been off my feet as a pro, but Jesus Christ, uh, let's go. We'll go. You know, I, I've lost. You know, I've lost some decisions. Some never really pretty wide decisions, but I've lost some decisions. So, yeah. you know, I think one of the things that I'm able to take from that is knowing that me personally, you know, I started late. You know, some of these guys have advantages by just length, longevity. You know, they've been able to do this a lot longer than I have. But yeah, the losses are are not losses. They're lessons. Yeah. You know, things that you can get better from. Absolutely. If you can take back and go back and watch footage and say, I can get better at this, I can get better at that. Yeah. Lessons. I had recently had on and I don't know what the how we're gonna release each episode or what's gonna come first, but I had a guy that created Pathwater, familiar with Pathwater. It's like mm-hmm. an aluminum can, it's reusable. You've definitely seen it. They do a lot of private labeling for other businesses like okay. Orange Theory and Aloe Yoga and whatnot. But he talked about he doesn't like to use the word failure and it's something you said just now, you know, it's lessons. He calls them mistakes. Right. He's like on a movie set, it's another take, right? And that's a mistake. Right. Um, and that's something that like I've been using now is because I think it's true, you know, you learn from why you got there and you continue to build yourself back up and get up. Listen, you've never been knocked on your feet, so you've never gotten back up. <laughs> hey man, the, the, R&B, the R&B singer uh, Aaliyah, rest in peace, said it best. If at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. Yeah. No, That's it, man. Absolutely. Well, for the last question that I'll ask in the interview, it's one I ask every single guest that comes on the show, and that's, Daya, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? Hmm. And I get that response every time, and I love it. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Just be patient. Live in the moment. I like that. Yeah. Patience is key. Patience is is rare today. Right. I say especially in the younger age. I've talked about this before. Patience is... Dude, we're we're in a microwave popcorn era. Exactly. I mean, want it in less than two minutes. Amazon gets things to your house now overnight. Right. You know, everyone wants everything as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. I think... In today's world, if you can have patience, and I feel like I talked about this on a recent episode. I'm trying to think which one. But I feel like in today's world, if you can have patience, you can do a lot of things that people can't mm-hmm. because people don't want to wait. Right. Right. People I think that's like, now. yeah, like I always try and resonate with the younger generation that's the mostly listening to this pod. And it's have patience because today people are setting themselves up for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm setting myself up for the next... 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Right. But it takes time, right? You know, you could set yourself up for tomorrow and that's going to take what? An hour, two hours, make sure that you have everything ready. Are you going to have enough money for meals tomorrow, right? It takes not as much time, but you're trying to set yourself up for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. 
it's a different story. And I think it comes down to people don't want to have that patience. They want to have a video go viral overnight. Right. You know, they want to have all these things. But if you can have patience, and I think honestly, patience is something that's a lot can be learned in the gym, especially boxing. Like you have to have patience. You know, I came in here, you know, and there's never been a time where I'm like, holy shit, like I don't, I don't have the patience to learn this. You know, mm -hmm. I think even if you get frustrated, you still, you're in here to perfect it. You're in here to always be perfecting the craft. So I think patience is a good one to, to preach. tell all the youngins, you know, preach, patience brother, preach. is, no, that's the truth. Yeah. Patience you know? is, is a lost character trait that people don't have anymore. You even see it like on the road nowadays, the second, if you don't go the second the light turns green nowadays, you're getting honked at. Like, I and I, like so, the second. Sometimes I feel like I'm still in New York. Yeah. Like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy. Second like, millisecond. What are you talking I about? I know. It's, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. People just are, they're so aggressive. They're so eager to get to the next spot and do the next thing and, you know, order whatever they need to order. And it's there the next day. They don't want to wait for it. So listen, patience is a good one. But seriously, Daya, for, uh, you know, I'm a sentimental person. So I'll get sentimental for a second. You've helped me and I know that you've helped others. And as a friend, I'm proud of you, you know, from you being my coach from that perspective, I couldn't be more happy to have you as someone that I look up to and can call and can come in and do my thing. And thank you for coming on the pod. And thank you for just talking about everything, because I think no matter what people respect a fighter, they just think it's a different level of respect that's given because they know that you've earned it, right? They know that you've gotten in the ring, what was it, 28 times total or 20, 30 uh, times? 30, 31 or 32 30, times. Yeah, 30, however many it is, that many times to get to where you are. So I think that for those listening, people are going to take away things from this episode and listen to it and hopefully they live by it. So thank you, Daya, for coming on here and spitting knowledge because it, mean, it means a lot and the young generation needs it. Thank you, brother. That means a lot to me. Very heartwarming. And it's been truly a pleasure. I'm glad that we connected. Yeah. And, you know, not only did we form a trainer, yeah. fighter yeah, yeah. Uh, relationship, but, you know, we're friends as well. Yeah. And I appreciate that. No, always, always, brother. Well, thank you so much. You truly are the best of the best, man. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you. See you later. Peace. As you can hear, Daya truly is the best of the best. He's a great human. He's a great person. He's a great trainer. He's a great boxer. He's a great father. He embellishes all of those things. And I want you all to remember that no matter what you do, you should always lead by example. I'm keeping the intro and outro short on this episode because I want you all to really take in and absorb the meat, the interview, the focus of this podcast. So like I said, I'm going to keep the outro short. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And always remember that I hold you to a higher standard if you're a listener to this show. What does that mean? You should always lead by example in whatever you do in life. I always say the typical, no matter if it's on the road, in a classroom, in the gym, in the workplace, no matter where it is, we need more leaders. So step up, step out of your comfort zone and lead, do the right thing. All right, everyone, that's all. Have a great day, night, whenever you're listening to this. Just have a good one. Bye.